Welcome to the Laser Therapy Institute weekly podcast, the world's first podcast about medical laser therapy for healthcare providers. Each week, we discuss the latest research, interviews with experts, and how laser therapy can enhance your practice. Now, here is the founder of LTI and your host, Dr. Jason Roundtree. All right. Well, thanks very much for joining us today. This is the next episode of the LTI podcast. My name is Dr. Jason Roundtree. I'm a chiropractor and certified medical laser safety officer. And uh, we put on the LTI podcast, we try and do this one about every other week, in order to bring research to healthcare practitioners about light and laser therapies. And I've got Jay with me today instead of Christy. Christy's actually out of town, um, but I was able to get Jay in here, which is pretty exciting. Jay is a certified laser tech, and he's also in charge of the marketing department here at LTI. So Jay, thank you for joining me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Jay's uh, been around light and laser therapies for a long time, and uh, he's got a lot of knowledge on this, but at the same time, he's going to school for a lot of other things, and uh, so I was really happy when he said he'd be able to join me today, and I said, you gotta, you got to freshen up on your neurology a yes. little bit. How yeah. do nerves communicate? Because what we're going to be talking about today is super, super theoretical and kind of, I think, a little bit hard to grasp, um, but we're going to try and break it down in a way that it's easily understood. Um, and hopefully can be a benefit to you as you're listening in, as you're thinking about your healthcare practice, and especially if you're a practitioner of photobiomodulation or light laser therapies, hopefully this is something that helps you wrap your head around kind of what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. So, so people ask all the time, how does laser therapy work? Yeah. I don't understand. How does it actually work? And we talked to them about... Uh, mitochondrial effects and speeding up energy production, metabolism in the cell, um, and that's great, and that's that's really all correct as yeah. far as we know. But it's still very very theoretical. And just just a couple of days ago, I had a patient who was like, "So how does it work?" And I, I gave him a little quick rundown, you know, and they're like, "Okay, but how does it work?" Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's um, you know. It's hard to, to kind of grasp. So we're going to talk about an even more difficult to grasp. Yeah, just why not? Today. Yeah, <laughs> just add this on. But I think by the time we get to the end, it'll actually help uh, healthcare practitioners at least and those who are interested in photobiomodulation kind of understand why this works the way it does. Mm-hmm. So, so let's start with just talking about how neurons communicate. What do we know from school, Jay, about how neurons communicate? Like what were you taught? Right. So... You know, there's electric, electric energy, obviously. Mm-hmm. You got the negative side and you got the positive sides across the membranes. Mm-hmm. And then they have channels along the membrane and they communicate with each other with, you know, there's millivoltage and there's the threshold of action potential. I remember from school mm-hmm. and yep. whenever there's a sensory along the neurons, they communicate to the central nervous system and it goes up to your brain and you realize what's happening. But by that time, your body... if really like there's something with the afferent versus efferent and so those communication pathways but basically chemical and electrical Mm -hmm. communication across synapses yep yep exactly exactly yeah that's pretty good rundown that's what i remember from you know amp (laughs) yep yep and for a lot of us it's been a long time since we've been um it doesn't even matter if you've been to pt school or md school or whatever you know it's a long time in between your basics of uh, neurobiology and then you know having to 
even ever think about it. I mean, yeah. how do oh, you think sure. about the way that neurons synapse during your day? You yeah, know? exactly. It's not something any of us really do. And you remember key terms, but to be able to mm-hmm. identify what exactly they do in coordination with each other, too. Right. Just don't think about it. Right. Uh, a long, long time ago, um, they actually thought that neurons would grow together and mm-hmm. become one mesh, and then that's how they communicate. Interesting. We, we know they don't, that they actually communicate rather than like enmeshing together. Right. You know? Um, that's where the the synapses come along uh-huh. and neurotransmitters, right? Yeah. Um, and setting off these really weak electric potentials, you know, this um, this this kind of gradient exactly. in order to carry a signal, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's all well established. We know that we kind of run on that chemical electric energy, but there's there's new information about the body actually utilizing and producing light as a part of that communication. So the body produces the light. The body produces the light. Interesting. Very interesting. So um, this is this is actually an article uh, that was published in Neural Regeneration Research back in June. Okay. Of so, this year. Of this year. Nice. So not even a month old. Yeah. Um, really, really fascinating kind of summary of what we know so far about biophotons or photons that are created mm-hmm. within the cells. Mm-hmm. Um, and at first. I'm always, I don't know why my first impulse is just to be like, whatever. It's <laughs> exactly what I did with laser therapy, too. I yeah, mean, first skeptical like, mindset. Whatever, yeah. yeah, whatever. Um, then you start really looking into it, digging into it, uh-huh. and you go, oh, well, this makes totally makes sense. Yeah. So um, if you think about, uh, you know, there's there's animals and plants that are bioluminescent, right? Mm-hmm. They produce light as a part of their biology. We can see it, you know. Um, having trouble thinking like I know I was thinking electric eels that's more electricity but uh, you know yeah. there's, there's algae and everything you know they, yeah. they produce yeah, for sure. you know uh, bioluminescence and that's a part of their biology that's mm-hmm. it's part of what their cells do as they metabolize yeah right so the really the same idea here um, and I'll read you a quote from, from the article they say all of our tissues generate heat when they're metabolic, metabolically active so there should be no surprise that that same metabolic process of the mitochondria in particular that produces that energy currency, you know, the ATP, mm-hmm. would have some generation of light as well. It's generating okay. heat, yeah. which is just infrared energy, yeah. right? So uh-huh. we shouldn't be shocked that there's some level of light generation as well, you know, as part of this. That's a good point. You know, it, it's not visible light. Yeah. Necessarily to us that we can detect, but this, this light is generated as kind of a byproduct of metabolism. Okay. So then the question is like, why? Why, why, why would your body, you know, waste effort producing exactly. light yeah. or photons um, when really they, it doesn't really use them, doesn't mm-hmm. really need it? And they said, this is kind of a cool, a cool uh, um, analogy here. They said, you know, it may have just evolved to use these photons because it's it's like a byproduct of metabolism, right? So mm-hmm. just like a an internal combustion engine produces lots of heat that is then used to heat the cabin of yeah. the vehicle in the winter, yeah. right? It's a, it's a nice byproduct, uh-huh. but it's not the chief, you know, uh, product of the engine. Sure. Same way with these biophotons. So as the body produces energy, as the body goes through its metabolic processes... It's producing these photons, but there actually may be a use that has been derived for them. Okay. Just on the evolutionary scale. So there is energy and the heat, and as a result of that energy, 
light may be produced and that light has been turned into an efficient sort of process instead of being wasted. Yep. Okay. Yep, exactly. That's exactly right. Now, and again, this is this is pretty theoretical. Yeah. You know, however, it's been pretty darn well observed and we know that the body that cells and the neurons especially generate a lot of these biophotons. Um, the question is really then what? Yeah. Right? Well, it makes sense because I don't I don't know what thermodynamic law this is, but I feel like, you know, anything that happens has to go somewhere, obviously. Mm -hmm. So it can be disposed of or it can be utilized. That's exactly right. So it's exactly right. this light is being utilized for communication. It appears to be. So let's talk about kind of how the cells use these, these, and, and again, you know, just like with electrical gradients, these are really low. If you, yeah. if you touch a nerve, you're not going to get shocked. Right? Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> we're talking about very, very low gradients. So these are not really directly observable to the naked eye, sure. right? They're hard to pick up on. And actually one of the things that the authors in here mentioned is it'd be great if somebody could like get a device developed where they could sense these photons more easily. Right now they're really, really hard to actually measure. Okay. But um, if we're looking into this, you know, if we, we know that the cells do create these biophotons, then what, what happens with them really? They say that uh, these biophotons are emitted in a broad range of wavelengths which is the color of the light, yeah. all the way from ultraviolet up through red and then even into infrared. So okay. between 200 and about 950 nanometers. Okay. That does cover visible light, the yeah. visible spectrum, but also into the invisible infrared spectrum, which mm -hmm. is often used for laser, laser therapy, what do you know? right? <laughs> um, but then even down into the UV spectrum. Yeah. And we know UV has an effect on cells, right? Mm -hmm. We know, um, you know, and it triggers a production of vitamin D, mm -hmm. right? It can also trigger DNA damage, UV hmm. light. So what's going on here okay. if your body is generating UV light? What's happening? Well, it's at such a low level that these different photons can signal to either other organelles within the cell uh -huh. or even outside of the cell to neighboring cells. Okay. And depending on the wavelength, you get a different message carried, a different stimulus. Wow. So the different wavelength has to be with the amount of energy produced. And that then gives a different effect because mm -hmm. of the wavelength spectrum. Mm -hmm. Yep. Because each different type of photon uh -huh. with a different wavelength carries a different absorption pattern. Right? So okay. your infrared absorption pattern does you know it only absorbs in certain chromophores certain sure. parts of the cell that actually can absorb that color of light. right visible light is absorbed differently uv light is absorbed differently at all these different so yeah you know the structure that absorbs that particular photon of light uh changes based on the wavelength okay of the photon. and then you just measure that with spectrophotometry and like that's pretty established obviously mm -hmm. laser is based off of that a lot and then photons themselves are generated by electrons moving. Yes. So So tie that back to what you know on nerves. So nerves we understand. I was taught, uh -huh. you know, electrons uh -huh. are conducting and of course they travel in derm dermatites, der there's axons, dendrites. Dendrites. There you go. Very there's nice. The dendrites. Yeah. And so the electrons go across to communicate through the synapses. And if photons are just electrons moving across electrons mm -hmm. shells, basically different levels of that shell, then that kind of makes sense 
about the light being able to communicate because it's using yeah. electrons. Right. It, it, essentially using electrons. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because a photon is an electron moving. Basically. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so and, and you know, and a photon is an electrical um, or is an electromagnetic packet of energy right yes so the only the only thing you were off just a little bit okay, on, yeah. on that which was really good but um the electron doesn't actually move across the synapse the electrons that that um that gradient stimulates uh-huh. the release of the neurotransmitter oh, that's right. okay across the synapse which in, instigates that next signal from from that synapse on up that yeah because it didn't actually cross it changes into the neurotransmitter yep. whether chemically or or sodium and potassium mm-hmm. that is one of those but yep, yep. okay yep no, but that's that makes exactly sense. right so yeah so uh let's see <laughs> there's just so much here it's really it's really crazy so they they say that biophotons emitted by one neuron may inform bystander neurons of their activity state and whether they are functioning normally or are damaged based on how much they emit and what color light they emit wow they say that these neurons uh, that are most kind of closely linked with biophotons mm-hmm. are include the pathways that use dopamine, serotonin, excuse me, serotonin, or noradrenaline. That has the closest link to these largest number of biophotons, and then uh, fluorescence as well. So, okay. if you think about the way that we function on on a neurological basis, dopamine and serotonin are huge. huge. Yeah. Absolutely. So to find out that those kind of neurons are also using light yeah. as a communication That's agent crazy. Is, it's kind of a big deal. So my initial thought is implications would eventually lead to brain treatment, like dementia yeah. type? 100%. Okay. And I mean, you know, dementia, yes, but even simple stuff like addiction, you know, oh, yeah. stimulating these pathways correctly, getting them to speak correctly with light uh-huh. can really solve a lot of what we see with addiction. We've actually done podcasts on addiction, um, photobiomodulation on the brain, mm-hmm. and, and this is probably how a lot of that works is you're stimulating some of these light-based pathways with light. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, though. So, okay, I'll let yeah. you continue. <laughs> so um, the the last little interesting part here, these neurons that are so uh, biophoton heavy they say that their uh, emission level of biophotons is increased or decreased by external and internal stimulus. So by electrical stimulation, thermal or mechanical stress, uh, the application of neurotransmitters like glutamate, or the addition of anesthetics. So mm-hmm. all these different effects actually change the output of biophotons on these neurons. It okay. changes the way that they work. This could even tie into like why things like tens units work. You know, we know tens. Yeah. You know, it's it passes an electrical field over the nerve and it uh-huh. interrupts that electrical activity. But it'll also be changing the way that the nerve produces or uses biophotons. Okay. So you know, there's all these different effects, and all of it really impacts the way that the biophotons are produced, the way that they are used, the intensity, the wavelength, all of that. So what I'm hearing is we think it's or we have thought it's electric energy. But it could be electric energy and photon emission and light communication. Absolutely. <laughs> Which light communication sounds crazy. Light communication does sound crazy. So there's um but we know we know we can you can have laser communications, right? Mm-hmm. You can use lasers to actually send signals from you know one computer to another. 
Yeah. So over over a long distance, and it's it's the speed of light. So it's very very rapid communication. Now we're not at the point where we can do that with cells, of course, at this point where we can use a laser to beam information into cells. Although there are some people who are saying that that that's, yeah. that's not something we can understand yet. However, okay. however, if we can use these light pathways to strengthen and enhance the way that these biophoton networks actually work then you are stimulating the body's own communication networks to move more towards health healing and so forth okay because they say that photobiomodulation applied to a living cell stimulates mitochondrial activity and improves function and survival just as biophotons of similar wavelengths would do albeit at a much lower intensity after being emitted from either that same cell or the bystander cells. Okay. So that's what we just said, right? If you use photobiomodulation, you're actually delivering the same type of light Mm -hmm. to these cells that already are using light to communicate. And so you're enhancing that light response and that communication. There's a pretty great picture that comes along with this article. Go ahead and put that up there. But these biophotons can travel within the cell to these different um, to the different organelles but then can travel through the extracellular uh, the intracellular excuse me matrix or even along the axon to specific other cells so okay it, it becomes you know not just like electrical wires but more like fiber optics oh interesting carrying these light signals along with all the electrical gradients and so forth too and we know that the more a neural pathway is used the more the myelin sheath develops and the more enhanced that neural connection is and efficient that neural connection is so mm-hmm. the more light this has potentially the better that neural pathway is conducted because of this myelin sheath enhancement is that a theoretical okay potentially yeah. yeah and that would make sense right i mean yeah. there's, there's no reason to think that um the electro electrical magnetic energy of light wouldn't also stimulate the nerve the same way that we know that the electrical and the neurochemical side does, right? right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, the more you can get those pathways to communicate using light and, and strengthen that light communication mm-hmm. bridge, the more effective they should be, the more efficient they should be. Yeah. And, and, I mean, you should be looking at healthier neurons. So they say that this feature of these, these neurons using light to communicate and then photobiomodulation or laser therapy actually being able to stimulate some of these positive changes they say that that would explain the findings that neurons located so deep within the near total darkness of the brain are still receptive to light and benefit from photobiomodulation because if you think about it why would neurons deep within the brain ever even respond to light we know they do yeah but why would they it's because it turns out they use light to communicate with each other. Um, you know, and it's, again, these are very, very low intensities. So when it comes to putting light into the brain, you're not talking about having to heat up brain tissues or deliver huge amounts of light, but you need some light to be able to reach those levels. Mm-hmm. From there, you have probably other effects too, because if this light can travel, right, you know, intracellular, extracellular, and then along the actual uh, nerve communication pathways, Mm -hmm. then just because you apply some light here doesn't mean it's not going to affect potentially many other parts of the brain. Right, because communicating across, I mean, 
whenever you have something on your foot, it immediately sends it up through those nerve right. pathways. I mean, my understanding is that some nerves can be extremely long, like a meter long, depending on how tall you are, I guess. But yeah, so yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Even if light is penetrating up to a certain level, it penetrates deeper with communication. Yep. Okay. And I mean, there can be systemic effects. So they've seen, especially in some of the animal study, um, they can apply light, even just visible red, to the skin of, say, the leg. Okay. And they end up seeing system-wide and neurological effects. Wow. And why? Well, we don't really know, but it probably ties into some of this biophoton piece here and the fact that you have mitochondria that freely circulate within the body, too, which are big time on this yeah. biosignaling yeah. as well. So biophoton signaling as well. So, essentially, we don't know what any of this means. I yeah. mean, really, other than it makes sense. If, you're, if your cells are utilizing light to communicate and you can provide light, mm -hmm. then you can affect the way that those neural networks work. Yeah. So, back to what you said, make sure I understood that. So, like, if you have a rat or a mouse and you shine light on their ankle or their tibia, their brain is affected. Wow. Mm-hmm. Now we don't have a lot of human studies that really, really back that up yet. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of stuff starts with animal studies, and it's it's very, very interesting. So I think, for one thing, in in the right now, what does this mean right now? Mm -hmm. Is don't ignore the systemic effects of light. Just because you're not directly applying light to a particular problem area, doesn't mean that it won't affect that. And we've seen this all the time. We'll work on somebody's neck, and their back feels better than ever, or their yeah. shoulder is, clears up. You know, yeah. their ankle pain finally goes away. I mean, exactly. Weird things you'd be like, oh, all right. Yeah. But that may explain some of that systemic effect. Or even I've heard uh, whenever you have applied treatment to do two different, like if the person's left knee hurts, and you apply it to both the left knee and the right knee at the same time, mm -hmm. it actually helps improve the left knee that wasn't making much progress before you did it to both. Yep. Okay. Yep. There's those systemic effects, and, and we don't understand them perfectly well we observe them we can see them but this may kind of explain some of the mechanism behind why it works and especially when it comes to some of the work with addiction and transcranial laser therapy mm -hmm. you know trying to get light through the skull into the brain you end up with maybe two percent of the light you start with at the surface it's okay. very very small wow. amounts of light yeah but the effects are quite large even with just a few hundred joules of light directed into the brain um we just talked about uh autism yes. uh, on last week's yeah. podcast uh, for healing and speed of light, you know, more patient focused, but you know, small amounts of light that do make significant changes to like uh, the default mode network, which is so important in autism spectrum kids. And you start looking at things like depression, anxiety. I mean, all these are neural network issues. Mm -hmm. So yeah. if you can start applying some of this, you know, light, which is very safe, Mm -hmm. to reinforce the correct method of communication in the neurons, I mean, the potential is very, very, very big. Yeah. I'm wrapping my head around that for a little bit. Well, even just with application to patients to understand the systemic effect, because there have been patients sometimes when I've been treating them, and they're like, well, why are you treating my shoulder when my elbow hurts or whatever? And we include the elbow too, but like it's the whole process that you're not just the body doesn't act individually they're not in a whole bunch of silos you know it's completely connected so to be able to treat one area is going to impact another and somewhere or another depending on the relevancy there um, but it's not going to be completely separate exactly exactly okay 
It's cool. It's cool. Yeah. So in the future, I think we'll, we'll be learning more and more um, about exactly how this works uh, and what it might have relevance-wise to what we can apply in clinic. For right now, it does help us explain some of the things that we observe when we apply light and laser therapies mm-hmm. and, and why sometimes you know it, you don't have to have just huge amounts of light driven into places. Sometimes you can utilize that kind of systemic effect. We've got a couple of comments I'm gonna go through here real quick before we're done for the day. There you go, oh yeah, yep, yep, that's perfect. Thank you for dropping that link. We, we always try and drop the link to these papers that we, that we use, um, uh, either right after the show or at least in the podcast notes, but right there you can get the link to that, that uh, paper in the comments. Uh, this, this stuff is so fascinating. I can't thank the authors enough. These are folks uh, like Ann Liebert. Uh, I don't want to leave anybody out, but I mean, these are folks that have been working in the photobiomodulation space for, for years, just absolute experts. And the fact that they're putting out exciting articles like this for us to try and dive into and consume is just, just amazing. So yes. So thanks very much for joining us today. Hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll be bringing you uh, more interviews and more research and more discussion, um, clinical vignettes, things like that here in the near future. And uh, maybe I can see if I can get Jay along with me again at some point in the near future. Yeah, yeah. As long as you talk about something that I can maybe understand a little bit more. (laughs) Maybe. You did very well. You did very well. It's great stuff. Awesome. All right. Thanks very much. Yeah. Subscribe now to keep learning about the growing field of laser therapy. Check out our patient-focused podcast, Healing at the Speed of Light, a great resource for your patients. For massive practice growth and improved patient outcomes, become a certified Laser Therapy Institute clinic. Learn how at lasertherapyinstitute.org.